We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. A new report from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities says that state and local governments across the U.S. could suffer revenue losses totaling some $500 billion over the next two years because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Illinois Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy is among the federal lawmakers sounding the alarm about the frightening findings. Well, we're going to ask him about those numbers and much more. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is the Democratic Congressman from Illinois' 8th District, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. He was elected in 2016 in the district which includes West End's northwest suburbs of Chicago. He holds the seat previously occupied by Senator Tammy Duckworth. He's an advocate for small businesses and what a time they're having now. And he also watches out for consumers as chair of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy. He's also on the House Intelligence Committee, which means we have an awful lot to ask him about this weekend. Well, with shutdown orders in place, we are not meeting face-to-face this weekend. It is another Zoom conference with me in the western suburbs, and the congressman is uh, back home in Schaumburg. And uh, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, welcome. Hey, thanks, Craig. Glad to be on. Well, I uh, appreciate it. And uh, talk with me a little bit about really what Congress has been doing to help us through the spread of the COVID-19 virus, and also what it's been like working in these past weeks with every place on lockdown. Well, uh, let me start with the latter. It's been surreal, um, you know, uh, working through these uh, stay-at-home orders. Um, it's, It's absolutely necessary. Um, I did have to travel back to Washington yesterday. No, sorry, day before yesterday uh, to vote uh, yesterday and speak on the floor with regard to the uh, stimulus 3.5. And, um, you know, basically we had to practice social distancing and everything else that we've been talking about, uh, even as we were voting. So this was a, and we had to wear uh, masks as well um, in the Capitol and on the floor. Uh, so that was a uh, a very unusual situation, but necessary. Uh, with regard to what Congress is doing, um, now we've passed four stimulus bills. Um, yesterday's bill basically uh, adds more money to the Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses. As a former small businessman, um, I, I, I view this as vital to sustain our small businesses. Um, it also added money to the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, which is a program that's also accessed by a lot of smaller small businesses. 
And then it added money uh, to the tune of $75 billion for hospitals that are on the front lines fighting the pandemic and another $25 billion for, um, you know, essentially testing. Um, because as you know, we cannot reopen the economy until we do widespread testing. And so we try to take a step in the right direction there. I do think more needs to be done, but, um, you know, so far we've tried to uh, protect small businesses as well as working families through, um, you know, expanded un unemployment insurance benefits and stimulus payments and the like. And I'm going to want to talk to you more about uh, the business uh, part of this, but I, I think one thing we're starting to hear from state and local officials is that so far the stimulus packages have not contained anything to help with the revenue losses that states are facing and that cities are facing. Uh, you know, the city of Chicago, for example, is facing some $150 million in, in tax revenue losses alone. Uh, how close are we to having some kind of package that will address that issue? Well, I think the negotiations have uh, started, but I don't think that they have um, become serious enough to say that I think that a package is in the offing. Um, I wanted a package to, for the states and, and local governments to be included in stimulus 3.5, uh, but we were unable to secure that. Um, Here's the issue, which is that um, I believe that states and local governments are in dire need. And uh, just to give you uh, an understanding, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, for instance, have faced um, uh, so many COVID cases that we have uh, the equivalent number of cases as the state of Georgia at this point. Um, and yet, um, a lot of our uh, local governments, uh, including mayors and municipalities, um, are spending so much money and, and their revenues dried up that they're now considering cuts to services. That includes police, fire, sanitation, and even public health related services at the same time that they're vital to fighting the pandemic. And so that's why I think we have to um, rush aid to these places, um, you know, to not only uh, keep those services um, intact, but also, quite frankly, to keep our economies intact. Um, and, and, and that's why I'm such a strong advocate. Well, I should ask, though, if, if you're seeing a, a united front uh, on the uh, floor of Congress, uh, how much of, is the election year playing into what is happening down there? Um, we're seeing a lot of Republicans also advocate for this type of state and local government aid. Um, you're seeing this among, for instance, governors and senators, uh, Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland, as well as uh, Bill Cassidy, the Republican senator for Louisiana, have been uh, strongly pushing for this type of aid. That being said, unfortunately, I think that President Trump, um, I should say Mitch McConnell as well, um, have unfortunately uh, started to use political rhetoric um, to characterize a problem that's affecting red and blue states alike. And that um, is unfortunately um, slowing down uh, negotiations on, on providing this vital aid. And I think some people may have heard the president uh, either, you know, well, just within this week uh, say 
Well, one, one issue is that uh, a lot of the states that are having trouble are blue states. Uh, and, and why does that matter? I think it matters because when he says that, uh, a lot of his supporters then uh, become averse to supporting the aid because um, he is signaling to them somehow that the aid is going to uh, people who are not uh, living in their states. <laughs> um, and um, I think the, the and, and that there's not a problem in their states that, that needs to be fixed. Um, but the fact of the matter is that uh, COVID-19 knows no uh, geographic or partisan boundaries. Um, it doesn't really care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It's striking a lot of areas with equal ferocity. And, um, you know, we have to treat um, the problem as such in, in coming up with solutions. It has to be bipartisan and it has to be devoid of the political rhetoric that, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people, including I suspect a lot of your listeners are sick of. And I guess what we should, you know, deal with here is eventually Congress is going to have to do some things about that, but you're also going to have to deal with the business community. And what kind of pressures have you been getting from the business communities in your district to relax the social distancing and the stay-at-home orders, which now, at least in this state, have been extended? So I'm very sympathetic to the small business community because, quite frankly, um, a lot of them were shut down because of stay-at-home orders. Um, and I, I think that we have to figure out how to reopen the economy, even at a time when we don't have a vaccine. Um, but, quite, you know, I'll be candid with you. A lot of the businesses in my area um, are understanding that we don't want to open the economy rashly such that we somehow have to go back into a stay-at-home situation or a lockdown situation. Let's do it right the first time. Um, let's do it, quite frankly, the way that I think that Governor Pritzker is trying to do it, which is thoughtfully reopening, for instance, um, some open spaces. He talked about open, reopening some of our state parks, um, deeming certain other businesses as quote-unquote essential businesses under his stay-at-home orders, um, allowing for more elective procedures at hospitals uh, as people are trying to um, um, go and get, for instance, the mammogram that is vital for detecting whether they have cancer and getting uh, treatment in a timely way. So bottom line is I think businesses want to reopen, but they want to do it right. And I think they want to do it based on science and facts, not based on some kind of political fact, political rhetoric or some other consideration that is, you know, irrelevant to um, what's the right thing to do. What can you do or what can you say to businesses that, I mean, and many of them are saying, we may not survive this, that there are small businesses that were already either operating at thin margins anyway or struggling uh, to find a, a market in their and their footing, and now this comes along. Uh, you know, how how are you hearing from many businesses that say at the end of this we're going to be gone? Yes, I am hearing from a lot of businesses that are very concerned about how much longer they can survive. Um, you know, so that's why I think it's essential that we get them as quickly as possible um, this uh, paycheck protection program aid. 
as well as the disaster loan aid. Um, I'm very concerned that some of the smaller small businesses are frankly cut out uh, because they don't, they don't have the connections and the clout with banks that, um, you know, for instance, other larger businesses have. And that's why um, I've been advocating for fixes to the underlying legislation and also been calling for direct lending by the federal government, just the way that it's doing through the Small Business Administration with these economic disaster loan programs. Um, we made a temporary fix yesterday in the sense that we're allocating $60 billion of the $320 billion for PPP to credit unions and smaller financial institutions that cater to the smaller small businesses. But um, we have to do more. And, um, and, and so I'm committed to uh, figuring that out for the next package, making some underlying changes. We also have to do, quite frankly, a lot more oversight with regard to the money that was spent. Um, I suspect that there are probably some more uh, Shake Shack stories and, pot, and, and, and maybe even some pot belly and um, other situations where, you know, we have to really look to see, um, do the people that got the money, uh, are they the intended recipients? And how do we fix that? And how do we even go back and, and, and see if we can fix it? And I think for, for our listeners who may not get the reference, uh, Shake Shack and Potbelly were examples of businesses that applied for small business loans. And I guess because they're individual shops, they can kind of do that. But in fact, you're, the loans were going to major corporations. And some of them are giving the money back. Some of them have uh, not volunteered to do that. Yeah, I think that um, we have to be very careful about making sure that the money goes to the intended recipients and we try to act within the spirit of the law. Obviously emergency funding was authorized, but at the same time, let's do our oversight. Um, let's make sure that uh, for instance, um, you know, that mom and pop shop, which desperately needs the money um, gets the funding it needs to survive, whether it's through the PPP or through the unemployment insurance um, process since independent contractors are now allowed. Uh, we can't allow them to fail. Um, are there any other segments that you feel may be left out of this? I know, you know, at least locally, we've been hearing more from, from landlords as many people are calling for rent, uh, rent holidays. Uh, then we hear from landlords who say, you know what, we're small business people too. And if we don't get our rents, we can't pay utilities. Uh, are you seeing enough help for people in those kinds of positions? Not yet. And I think one of the things that we have to look at carefully is whether um, we might need to go back to the financial institutions that are receiving aid from the government now, especially from the Federal Reserve, by the way, um, whether we should ask them to give more widespread forbearance uh, because if, if they don't do that in the case of mortgages, let's say, those landlords will be foreclosed upon, um, especially if they don't have rent. And so what we want to do is create a situation where they can get forbearance on their mortgages and then they can pass that along in the form of tenant relief or rent relief. Um, that would be, I think, the ideal situation because, as you say, you know, a lot of those renters aren't receiving income. How are they going to make rent? Um, 
And then how do the landlords pay the mortgage to make sure the banks don't foreclose? We need forbearance relief. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking via Zoom conferencing with 8th District Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Uh, let me also talk about uh, one of the other I would debate is the wrong word, but uh, movements that we're seeing nationwide, uh, this uh, movement to liberate some areas. We haven't seen that much in Illinois, but certainly in other parts of the country. And uh, and we're also getting some mixed signals from the White House. And how is that playing out uh, among the people that you hear from? Well, I... Again, I have sympathy for those who uh, want to reopen the economy, um, are prevented from opening their businesses or to be able to work, and we need to provide them with relief. But when the White House, when the president's own task force puts forth guidelines, um, which a lot of governors are actually trying to observe in terms of reopening their economies, and um, those guidelines say that you should stay closed right now based on the science and the statistics that they are confronted with. But at the same time, the president is then criticizing those governors of, let's say, Wisconsin or other states for uh, keeping those stay-at-home orders. Basically, he is um, sending very mixed messages and conflicting signals. Um, In addition, um, we are seeing uh, signs that some of those, quote-unquote, liberate protests and so forth um, may, may not be quite grassrootsy <laughs> the way that some people might understand them, that they might be more uh, based on uh, astroturf. They might be somehow, um, you know, inspired by certain um, uh, right-wing or very conservative groups that are funding them or, uh, you know, that, that's, that's bothersome. Mm. And, and this brings up one other issue, and I, I'm, in this case, it's more a matter of finding out what you're hearing from the people you represent. So much has been going back and forth that some people I hear, but you know, say we don't know who to trust. Um, we don't trust. We don't trust the liberal news media. We don't trust the uh, the conservative news media. We, we we're stop. You know what? are you hearing? Are you hearing that people are finding trusted sources to get the information that they need for their health and for, for business? Um, I think that a lot of them are looking to their local leaders right now, whether it's mayors, uh, whether it's governors, uh, you know, people like Governor Pritzker or Lori Lightfoot or uh, the mayors in my, my own district. I think they're looking to them for a lot of guidance um, because I think they're hearing more truth telling from them than maybe they're hearing from the white house. Um, You know, for my part, I'm trying to do my best to um, share facts and information. Um, I'm trying to keep political rhetoric out of the discussion as much as I can. Um, And I'm also trying to do the oversight that I feel that the white house is not doing with regard to some Uh, of some of the things that's happening right now. So just for instance, I'm chair of the House Oversight Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy. And basically we're acting as as best as we can as a watchdog uh, on what's happening right now because a lot of scam artists have come out to prey upon uh, vulnerable people during the pandemic. Um, We just uh, launched an investigation into um, 
groups, uh, including companies that are selling, quote unquote, at home testing kits, coronavirus testing kits. Of course, the FDA has not authorized any of these testing kits. So they're, in many cases, uh, fraudulent testing kits. Um, we've also launched an investigation into um, a company which contracted to sell low cost ventilators to the federal government. Um, but instead of selling those ventilators to the federal government, are now selling uh, uh, high-cost ventilators overseas based on technology that was funded by taxpayers. Um, this is the type of oversight we need from the federal government right now, including the White House. And unfortunately, they are um, they're kind of AWOL on, on some of these issues, and, and that angers taxpayers as well. Has the committee been able to spark action on those uh phony home COVID-19 test kits, and frankly, on the issue of the ventilators. Yes. Um, So for instance, with regard to those um, at-home testing kits, uh, there's a company called Well Matrix, which we had sent a letter to um, asking for more information uh, to back up their claims uh, about their testing kits. And uh, it turns out that there was nothing to their claims. And the SEC actually stepped in and uh, delisted the company uh, because of their fraudulent claims. Um, My committee also launched an investigation into, um, well, we sent a letter to uh, the InfoWars founder, uh, Alex Jones. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Yes. Uh, But he was trying to sell uh, nano silver toothpaste which he claimed uh, prevents uh, COVID-19. And so we uh, alerted the FDA at the same time that we sent a letter to him. And thankfully, the FDA basically uh, issued what I would call a cease and desist letter to them uh, saying, you know, you are not allowed to say, you're not allowed to make the claims you are are making. And um, we think that that's going to shut that nano silver toothpaste operation down. But, you know, we just have so many shysters and scam artists prowling the landscape, looking for people to dupe um, that we are, um, you know, very active right now. Do the federal agencies that usually would police these kinds of things have enough resources or regulations to really go after them? Um, The short answer is no, but there's another issue here, Craig, which I got to point out, which is I think they're under a lot of political pressure from the White House not to do the things they normally do, Um, not to, for instance, issue standards um, for testing the way they normally would, not to um, take the uh, legal action um, and enforcement actions that they would ordinarily take to clear the market of these fraudulent products. Um, That's very disturbing that they are basically under political pressure in many cases not to do that. And so um, this is just a continuation of what we're seeing in other um, sectors as well. And um, this time the consequences could be life threatening uh, if the Trump White House, uh, you know, continues to basically stand aside as these scam artists and others uh, do what they're doing. Is the rationale for this that, well, we have to focus all of our attention on 
on uh, COVID-19 and therefore we don't have time for these regulations? No, some of it is just ideological, man. So I'll just give you an example, another example, the Defense Production Act, okay? This is, a, this is a, uh, an authority or a legal authority that the president has. It's a unique authority to negotiate and act on behalf of the American people to instruct uh, certain manufacturers to, for instance, produce personal protective equipment uh, at a time of crisis, um, to make ventilators per the contract that the taxpayers had already entered into, but to speed up the production of those ventilators because people are dying without them. And the reason why uh, the president is not invoking the Defense Production Act in that way is because big business is telling him not to. And so what you have, as an example, is you have the governor of Illinois competing with the governor of New York, competing with the governor of California to, to buy personal protective equipment or ventilators from different manufacturers. That may be exactly what the manufacturers of that equipment and PPE want because it drives up the prices to have your customers competing with each other. But the net result is that taxpayers end up not getting enough of the equipment they need um, to either survive or to fight the pandemic, and they're paying through the nose for this equipment, or they're having to arrange for secret flights from China uh, to bring that equipment here, which makes no sense. It, you know, the fact that Governor Pritzker has to spend even a minute uh, trying to arrange for a secret charter flight from uh, China to, 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 to bring masks and other PPE here um, is, uh, is absolutely unacceptable. Well, since we're talking a little bit about uh, what's happening internationally, I do want to ask you a quick question. If, if While we're focused on protecting our health domestically, are we losing sight of any uh, issues percolating around the world that otherwise might be commanding our attention? Well, I think that fortunately, um, a lot of parts of our government are able to, quote unquote, walk and chew gum at the same time. They're able to um, perform their missions uh, and at the same time battle the pandemic. Um, but at the same time, we do need to, uh, you know, make sure that we resource them appropriately and think about what's happening right now that we want to uh, avoid in the future. So just as an example, I'm a member of the House Intelligence Committee and there, um, you know, we actually met yesterday as a committee, Craig, while we were on Capitol Hill and we socially distanced from each other in a large committee room and wore our masks. But Chairman Schiff, um, you know, tasked us with thinking about, okay, what are the things we need to be doing right now even at the same time we're battling the pandemic? How do we make sure that we can guarantee election security, for instance? Um, there are reports that the, the, the Russians and the Chinese and others are trying to tamper with our 2020 elections and maybe even with um, the government's response to the pandemic now. Um, we have to do whatever it takes to counter those measures. Um, there are uh, brewing crises overseas uh, with regard to Iran uh, and other places where, you know, the Trump administration uh, might inadvertently stumble into war, um, you know, 
even at the same time that we're dealing with the pandemic. So we have to keep an eye on that and make sure that we don't, um, you know, cause us more problems than uh, we need uh, as we're dealing with the pandemic. And uh, we only have about a minute left. Uh, the time goes by quickly wow. here. But uh, let me ask you, uh, on, on the bright, brighter side, if there is a brighter side to this, what is encouraging you uh, these days as we move through such trying times? I think it's the countless acts of selfless service that I see uh, you know, being done by neighbors for each other, whether it's neighbors buying groceries for their shut-in uh, elder, elderly neighbors, um, whether it's the, you know, you see the frontline workers going to work every day um, trying to battle the pandemic. Um, I think I've, I may have mentioned to you before, but my wife is a physician who, she's an anesthesiologist, and she um, is, yesterday she was on duty to intubate uh, COVID patients in the ICU. And um, you see all those nurses and, and physicians and others um, exposing themselves, but, uh, you know, trying to battle this pandemic and, and, and trying to get us to a better place. And I think those um, acts of, of service, um, as well as charity and other things that you see our neighbors uh, performing, it really exemplifies the greatness of America. Well, thank you very much. And our thoughts and prayers with your wife as well. That is Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Thank you for spending this half hour with us. Uh, hey, to thank our, you, Greg. Thanks. And to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 